I think each of us in some way has uh, experienced rejection in our lives. Maybe it was a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school or college. Uh, maybe it was a friend later on in your life. Perhaps it was even that we're in the workplace where you um, had a recommendation or a proposal and that idea or proposal was shot down by your supervisor. Rejection is something that we experience. Um, there's a story about uh, a young married couple, actually a British couple, uh, Violet Bailey and Samuel Good, and they were engaged and deeply in love, and they were taking a stroll on the uh, English countryside. And as they were walking uh, and during their conversation, they got into a little bit of a conflict. And pretty soon that conflict uh, escalated into a shouting match. And it got so bad that Violet uh, took the, her engagement ring, drew back her arm, and hurled it, catch, hurled it into a field. And right away, Samuel felt rejected. Just sat there like, oh my goodness, you know, she's uh, rejected me. Took, took this uh, precious ring of mine and threw it out in the, in the uh, countryside in the field. And even though they apologized, Samuel feel, felt rejected by Violet and felt, felt um, turned down and rejected by uh, what had happened. And yet, you know, as we experience rejection in our lives, God does not reject us. And that's the story of Christmas, is that God loves us. God's love never fails. God never rejects us. And even though we experience that in different aspects of our lives, God does not reject us. And no matter what we do, no, no, no matter where we've come from, you might be here this morning, you're far away from God. Um, perhaps you don't even believe in God. Maybe you're agnostic. Maybe you're Hindu. Maybe you're Buddhist. Maybe you're in the midst of some really bad stuff in your life. You're in the midst of a bad relationship. Uh, no matter where you're at right now, just for you to hear that God does not reject you. God is not going to draw back his arm and throw his love for you out into a field. And that's the story of Christmas, is that God's love permeates every aspect of the Christmas story. And we're in the last Sunday of Advent, and we kicked it off a few weeks ago, if you remember, by lighting the candle, the first candle, called Hope, and then we followed that with peace, and last week was joy. And this morning, the Kevinolds uh, lit the candle, the candle of love. And God's love permeates the story of Joseph and Mary. It permeates the story of uh, the shepherds and the angels. And God's love permeates the story of the three wise men, the story that we're going to look at this morning. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in the, with a screen behind me. There'll be verses up there. And uh, perhaps you don't have a Bible, maybe on your iPhone or your iPad, whatever you have. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And this story is just kind of tucked away in Matthew. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. And the story of the three wise men, it's just kind of tucked away in Matthew 2. And this is going to be our main story this morning as we look at God's love. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, we come before you, and as we were just singing, um, we want, we seek to glorify you. Uh, we live in a world where we um, glorify ourselves. We live in a world where we glorify other things. Uh, God, uh, we come together just to be reminded that we're here that we're breathing, that we're alive, and the purpose of our lives is to glorify you. So God, I pray that you use this teaching this morning, that you would um, speak through me. Anything in my life that's hindering your words, I pray that it would be, just be taken away. 
And God, I humbly come before you and just bow down and just allow and ask for your words to be preached this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. And Matthew writes this gospel. Um, Matthew uh, was Jewish, and he's a disciple of Jesus. First uh, book of the New Testament. And he writes his book for Jewish Christians. And there's a few things that he does in his telling that's uh, important for us to know, and I'll mention that later on. Starting with verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that, that same time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and as was everyone in Jerusalem. So he called a meeting. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah to be born? Now for um, these three wise men, when they say king of the Jews, really what they're saying is the Messiah. So that's an important thing that you want to know. You have teaching notes in your program. You may want to pull that out. And there's a section called the who and what of the three, three wise men are, are better known as the Magi. That when they say king of the Jews, they mean the Messiah. And when um, King Herod responds, of course, he's, he's not going to say uh, the king of the Jews because he is the king. So he simply says Messiah, but it means the same thing. But just some, some information for us um, as we look at the Magi is that the, these, these Magi are wise men from eastern lands. And as Matthew writes this book, it's a very, very important for his Jewish audience, because uh, for them, Moses was like our George Washington. I mean, he was, he was the one that, that led us to independence. He's the one that led us to freedom. So uh, several times um, when Matthew writes, he'll try to have something in there that kind of triggers his Jewish audience to something that, that connects to Moses. And one of the ways that he does that is this story of the Magi. Because back in the Old Testament, Pharaoh issues a decree for all uh, male Hebrew babies to be killed. And that comes as a result of uh, Pharaoh's conversation with some magi. So right, right away, that would have been a trigger for the Jewish audience. But that's a side note. The magi had a very important role, and you want to note this. They were advisors to the king. They, were, they had very important roles. They lived in the royal palace. It would advise the king. Uh, they were astrologers. So they love studying the, the, the stars and interpreting the stars. Uh, they interpreted dreams for the king. So they had a very important role, these magi. And most likely, we believe that, that they came from Persia, eastern lands. So you're going to see a map here. It's very much this journey is, is from modern-day Iran to modern-day Israel. Okay? A thousand miles or more. So those nice little nativity scenes that we see where the, like, the three wise men are sitting there with uh, baby Jesus, mm, not true. A thousand miles, two years. This is a two-year journey. Okay, when they leave Persia, they leave everything behind to, to follow the star and to find this king. And when uh, stars rose, it's very commonplace in that day that a star would mark the birth of royalty, the birth of a king. So these magi see this star from the eastern lands, and they leave everything behind, and they follow it. The question for us, we have to ask the question when we come to this story, is why? 
why would these magi leave behind lucrative careers, a very comfortable lifestyle, and travel a thousand miles? They probably didn't know it was going to take that long, but they kept going. It kept going. Left everything behind. It kind of, kind of reminds me of my freshman year in college. I was in spring break in Florida, and there was this girl that I met that I liked. And um, one night I thought it'd be really cool and just be spontaneous and just kind of walk over to her hotel and surprise her. And didn't realize how far away her hotel was. So I kept walking and walking and walking. It was six miles. <laughs> Get to her hotel room. Okay, I have, my, I have my little speech rehearsed and, you know, trying to be a little romantic or something and knock on the door and no one's there. I kept knocking for 15 minutes. No one was in the hotel room. So what do I do? Turn around, walk six miles back. And I just remember collapsing on my bed. I was so exhausted. So I can't imagine a thousand miles, walking a thousand miles over two years. Can you imagine something like that? But that's what they did. And, it, and, and the question is why? It had to be more than they simply like stars. Let's be honest. Okay? Yeah, they're astrologers. It had to be more. It had to be more than, than simply the stars. It had to be more than simple this, this sort of like curiosity. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, this king, and we're going to walk there, and we're going to find this king. It, it had to be more than that. It had to be more than that. The question is why. And this is my opinion, uh, studying this text. I believe it was a compelling love of God. The love of God that does not reject any person. And these magi are not Jewish. They're Gentile. They're from a different religion. They're from a different culture entirely. But God's love is so compelling. And I think that love drew them. And there had to be something in their lives that they were open to what God perhaps was doing. And I think in many ways it's an unstoppable force that meets a movable object. The movable magi as they make their way. The unstoppable, irrepressible, magnetic, and infectious love of God. God, God's love cracks through the Eastern world and pulls them to find the Savior of the world, the King of the Jews, the long-awaited, sought-after Messiah. And they make the journey. Look at verses 1 through 2 again. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that same time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him, and we've walked a long ways. We've walked a long ways. The fill in the blank that you have here is that God's love goes the distance for the Magi. God's love goes the distance for the Magi. Even though they're Persian, even though they're not Jewish, he still loves them. His love does not reject them. His love goes the distance in reaching them in the eastern lands. And I think uh, it's not hard for us to believe that. It happens to us too. Sometimes it's a star. Sometimes it's something else in our lives that where God kind of wakes us up in the, in the midst of a tragedy or in the midst of a, of a time in our life and that we're open to what God may want to do in our lives. I knew a man who had achieved his financial dreams at a very young age, but he had this sort of hollow emptiness in his life. He wasn't a churchgoer, but, but he just felt like he needed something else, that, that what he achieved financially, what he achieved in his life wasn't enough. And he found himself sitting in his Audi, it's on a regular weekday afternoon at a Starbucks. 
and he felt like there was something he needed. And he remembers looking over, and there was a nearby church, and there was a cross, this huge cross on top of that church. And through that um, image, he just opened his heart to God's love. He said, he, and he told me the story, he said, God, I don't know you very well, but um, I feel like um, you're trying to reach me, you're trying to touch me in my life. And I want to open up my life to you, and I want to surrender my life to you, and I want to follow you the rest of my life. So sometimes it's a star, sometimes it's a cross, sometimes it's something else in our lives. And God does that. He does it to, he does it to the businessman with a cross, and he does it to the magi with the star. And the magi are overwhelmed by the love of God. They walk this thousand miles to find the newborn king of the Jews. And I, I went to see Star Wars yesterday, and I kinda, it kind of, uh, during the movie, uh, thinking about the, the magi walking across the desert, it was kind of reminding me of this, uh, the male protagonist in the movie, Finn, as he's walking across the desert and trying to find a way from um, the evil empire. So I had, to, I had to have a Star Wars application somewhere in, in this morning's sermon. So. But one of the most enduring symbols, though, in the Christmas story is the star. It's mentioned in verse 2. The, the Magi mentioned that they followed the, his star as it rose. Now, what's important for us is that um, there's actually, there was a prophecy. There was a prophecy in Numbers uh, chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. And maybe, maybe uh, these magi knew of this prophecy. And the prophecy simply went, it goes like this. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. So that was a prophecy about the Messiah. That some star will rise, and that will be a sign that the Messiah has, has, has arrived. So in the ancient world, a star was associated with royal birth. So after this conversation with King Herod, back to Matthew chapter 2, after this conversation with King Herod, the Magi pressed on for another six miles, six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And we pick up in verse 9, if you want to take a look at that. And the star they had seen in the east guided them from Bethlehem and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So two years later, a thousand miles later, they finally meet Jesus. And one scholar speculates this, is that when, when the Magi reached the house, it was very typical in a Jewish family that uh, the kids would actually open a door for a visitor. And it's speculation, obviously, that the Bible text doesn't say this, but kind of imagine that scene. These magi come to the house of Joseph and Mary where they're living at, and perhaps little two-year-old Jesus opens the door. And these magi bow down and worship him, which is an incredible scene by itself. Imagine that for a moment, them actually bowing down. In the actual Greek, that, that term bowing down means to prostrate themselves. So they would, they would have laid face down, on, on the floor of this very ordinary house, these, these, these wise men, these magi, from a royal palace, laying face down before a two-year-old. And that was typical in the ancient world to do that when the other person was more superior, 
when the other person uh, had a higher status. So when that action of bowing down, you may want to circle that in your teaching notes. When they bow down, they are saying, Jesus Christ is king. He is the Messiah. He is greater. We are glorifying him. That's why I believe they were compelled by the love of God to seek Jesus in terms of their actions. How they respond is amazing. Also, they bring gifts. And this was very fitting when uh, someone met royalty. If you came to visit royalty, you would bring gifts with you. And we have three distinctive gifts. The first one is gold. And gold is valuable. Um, in, In any kind of economy, gold has value. And back then, gold was very valuable. And it was typically a gift that you gave to a king. So what the Magi were saying is that Jesus Christ is king. Okay? Next is the incense, frankincense. I had a friend of mine one time, he did a reading on Christmas Eve, and um, he's a volunteer in a church, and he was reading this passage, and, and instead, of, instead of saying frankincense, he said Frankenstein, and n- could not recover. The whole, the, whole, the whole church laughed, and he just turned red. So, frankincense. But it's incense. It's a fragrant smoke. And, and typically, incense is, was used in, in, in various religious traditions, but used in a temple. It was uh, an ingredient they would use in worship. And what, what the Magi were saying is that Jesus Christ is not only king, but also that he's a priest. That Jesus Christ is priest. Then lastly is myrrh. Now, I believe this had to startle Joseph and Mary, because the first two made sense. This last one... If you don't know anything about the Bible, myrrh is an embalming ointment. You would put this on the dead. So in a, in a way, it'd be like if it, perhaps if you have a, a young child and you had some visitors come over and, and they brought some gifts, it'd be like them bringing a mini coffin. You, it would startle you. But what, what the, the Magi with this gift, what they're saying, is that Jesus Christ as king and priest is going to die. It's a foreshadowing, I believe, that he is going to be crucified. So in the fill in the blank that you have, the Magi's love goes the distance in their love for Jesus. They bow down. They worship him. They bring these gifts. Their love goes the distance in their love for Jesus. In a similar way, God's love goes the distance for you as well. His love goes the distance for you. In your outline in the verse that you're going to see uh, behind me, actually verses, this is from Romans, and I think this captures so much of this love of God. As we light the candle of love on Advent, it has significance. It has substance. God's love has substance. And we use that word love so often in, in our culture. You know, I love my wife. I love the Timberwolves. I love Taco Bell. You know? But Paul really clarifies. Just pay attention to his words. I think this is one of the best passages, next to the next one we're going to read too, but it's one of the best passages in clarifying and defining God's love. I am convinced, Paul writes, that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, and life can't. The angels can't, and the demons can't. And you may want to underline these next phrases. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep God's love away. God's love does not reject us. It is always there. 
Whether we are, are high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is, re- is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. What a beautiful passage. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Substance. This love of God that nothing can, can get in the way. Nothing can separate us. And wherever you're at this morning, maybe this past week, you, you just engaged in, in some perhaps immoral behavior or something that happened this past week at work and, and you're just regretting it, but just know that God's love doesn't change for you. There's nothing that you could ever do to make God love you less. Nothing. Nothing. And nothing can separate you from the love of God. In John 3.16 as well, we see this unstoppable force of God's love in our lives. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that none would perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son and then whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The fact that God even loves us and loves the world is so staggering. He doesn't need our world. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. In fact, our series in the book of Genesis that we've seen together as a community this past fall over and over, the, the, the people of God seem to be saying back to, to God, even though he loves them, it seems like the people are saying to him, we don't need you. It seems like the, the, the people in the book of Genesis and all, all the way through the Old Testament, and I think in the New Testament, over and over humanity is saying to God, we reject you. We draw back our arm and we fling you to the field. We don't need you. But God's love does not change. God so loved the world and loves me and you despite this. And it's not just demonstrated just with words, with actions. God not only said that he loved you and me, but also that he sent his one and only son. And that's what we celebrate on Christmas. That he sent his son, Jesus Christ. That these magi traveled a great distance to see. And God demonstrated his love in the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. And he did this simply because he loves you and he loves me. And the last fill in the blank you have is that God's love goes the distance for you. God's love goes the distance for you. And we have a a volunteer in our student ministry, Quinn Gurman. And Quinn has grown up in this church. And there's a lot of folks that know Quinn. And Quinn has just lived an amazing journey. And God has been doing some amazing things and and exciting things, compelling things um, in his life. Um, God's love, this unmovable force, unstoppable force, has has really moved in uh, Quinn's life. And here's a video of Quinn telling his story. God's love was really shown to me um, through kind of my dark times. I was kind of at rock bottom and... uh, and then I saw all this love um, shown through me through the church and uh, through through a lot of different people, and um, it just kind of showed me that God's love is so unconditional that even when I kind of gave up on myself, He didn't give up on me. And then it really showed me that I shouldn't give up on Him, even when I feel like uh, I'm going to hit rock bottom again or I'm going through any sort of dark times. Like He's never going to give up on me. And that's something that I, I reassure myself of daily, because um, I need to. 
things kind of started going downhill for me. I would say 10th grade when my grandma died. She was a huge spiritual mentor. After she passed, I guess I didn't know really how to handle it. I remember being kind of in high school and not relating with anybody, so I was just open to anybody. I kind of switched up my whole friend group uh, from kind of the sports players to more of the musicians and started getting into bands and there was a lot of negative things that came with playing music and in bands, you know, you go to shows and there's alcohol and, and drugs everywhere. And at one point, which I can't even recall now, it just, the temptation became too much and I uh, got into a lot of the wrong things with the wrong people, had bad relationships stopped attending youth group and church and kind of stopped getting along with my parents altogether. I fast forward a couple of years, my sister was graduating from, from high school, she had her grad party and my parents needed help getting chairs from church. Grant Nearson was interning for the summer as the youth pastor. He asked if, you know, I could help him sometime, you know, he needed a volunteer or something. And I was like, well, I wasn't working that summer, so I was like, I have some free time, you know, I'll, I'll help you out. And so I got to spend some time with Grant, and he really challenged me on, on what my life was like. I just saw how, like, connected the youth group was. And I had never been part of a community that showed love to each other like they did. In a way, they almost helped me uh, more than I was going to help them at that time. They showed me what it was like to be in like a, a Christian community where they held each other accountable, they talked to each other, and it just appealed so much to what I was like looking for. I was used to feeling almost sick. Um, when I was able to see all this and experience all this, it was just warm and inviting. All these different emotions that I was experiencing throughout all these other friends and groups and everything kind of flipped 180. So instead of feeling depressed, I was overjoyed. Um, instead of anxious, I was excited. And it felt just good. <laughs> it felt right. I knew that I would I'd be able to help others, but I knew I needed to help myself first. And I think which came with that, I needed to start loving myself <laughs> so that I could love others. I want to love others because I, I like to be shown love. And I think as humans, we all strive and, and want to be loved. And uh, I think the only way to do that is to love others. And if I can lead by example by showing love towards others, I'm hoping that they will go out and show love to others and um, kind of hopefully make a chain reaction so that by the time I leave this place, I can hopefully uh, have made it a better place. Wow, isn't that amazing? <laughs> Quinn, you want to stand up? Have Quinn stand up. It's an amazing story. And Quinn has been accepted. Yeah, give him a hand. And Quinn has been accepted in a discipleship school at a camp in upstate New York. And uh, he is so excited about uh, digging into theology and digging into the Bible and growing in his faith. This is a remarkable story. And that's what God's love does. God's love changes us. In the, in the times of our lives where we feel lost, we feel rejected, uh, God finds us. And his love just washes over us. 
that opening story about that British couple, they never found that ring. It was lost in that field. And um, yet they got married. Uh, Samuel uh, bought a new ring for his bride, uh, Violet, and they were married for a number of years. And then uh, Samuel passed away. And about 13 years after uh, Samuel's death, one of the grandsons thought, you know what, I'm going to go to that field. And I'm going to see if I can find this ring. Because it was the story of this family. Every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, they would talk about the story of uh, grandma taking the ring and throwing it out in the field, and they could never find this ring. So the grandson went out into the field, and he, he, he actually brought a metal detector. And 67 years later, he found that ring. Found that ring. And I'm going to go over and get my ring back. Hopefully the girls haven't pawned it yet. <laughs> Can I ring back? Thank you. And uh, the grandson said this. Um, he brought the ring to his grandmother, and he placed it on her finger. She just had tears. What was once lost was now found. What was once rejected has been accepted. And that's the love of God, that God's love accepts you for where you're at. And maybe you can resonate with Quinn's story. Maybe it's something in the story about the Magi, but that God's love never fails. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for this morning. And Lord, thank you for your love that we can't comprehend, your love that we can't understand, that goes beyond any experience, any, anything that we know. And your love comes into our life and it changes us and transforms us. And this, to hear a story and see a story like Quinn where a person's future has been changed entirely. God, I pray for our community here that your love would touch us, would move us, would compel us, and ultimately transform us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.